Welcome, Bitcoin Accumulation Country. My name is Phil. This is the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. We're in Season 3, and this is Episode 12. I hope everybody's doing as uh, as well as they can throughout this uh, very interesting, unprecedented time in uh, in history where, uh, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, using social distancing and everything like that with uh, coronavirus. But uh, on the podcast today, we're not going to be discussing the uh, we're not going to be discussing the virus. Um, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. And more specifically, we are going to be talking with a gentleman that is, um, I think, a native of New Zealand. Um Mr. Coin Education. So he is going to be discussing with us about some of the the plight of the indigent indigenous people. Sorry, I always find it difficult to say that word. Um, and we're going to get into how uh, how Bitcoin helps them out or how it might help them out. But before we jump into the podcast, I'm happy to announce Fun with Bitcoin has its first official sponsor, and that is Swan Bitcoin, the dollar cost averaging platform that was started by Corey Clipston and Jan Pritzker. So what is Swan Bitcoin? Um, Swan Bitcoin is a dollar cost averaging platform, okay, that helps you um, build your wealth and build your Bitcoin stack, okay? It's very, very easy to use. They've got a bunch of really great resources on the site, like they've got this, uh, this blog called Swan Signal, okay, which is a bunch of really helpful educational material, okay? But more importantly, it's very simple to use, okay? They've already got an app, really easy to install. You simply link any major U.S. bank account. You buy Bitcoin weekly, monthly, or every paycheck, and then Bitcoin automatically gets delivered to your wallet or stored for a fee with a secured license and regulated custodian if you choose. So it really is that easy. Now, there's always a debate, right, about dollar cost averaging, Um you know, some people tell you that, you know, DCA is maybe not, you know, as good as using lump sum. Um, and personally, I, I've been dollar cost averaging um, since, I, since I got into Bitcoin. And the, the real reason is this, right? Um, most of us are just the average person. And the average person doesn't have every single penny that they're ever going to invest into the market at once. Okay. Because that is kind of the, you know, the logic of or part of the logic of lump sum investing is, is that you take as much as you possibly can. You don't space it out over time and you pour it into the market. OK, now that may work for some people depending on their financial situations. But the reality is most of us don't live like that. We don't all have this massive lump sum that we can push into the market on a whim. And this is where a platform like Swan Bitcoin really helps out because we can space our purchases out and we can make it so that we're still building our equity in Bitcoin and that we're still building our value in Bitcoin, um, but we're not strangling ourselves. So I really think that dollar cost averaging is uh, it's helpful and it's the safest, easiest way to get into Bitcoin. So why not start today? Head on over to swanbitcoin.com, sign up and start saving and stack it. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me on the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I've got a fellow Bitcoiner uh, that I've been talking to. Uh, I know him on Facebook, uh, but I also know him on Twitter. Um, he is. Let me make sure I've got the uh, the name pronounced right. It's BTC Culture, um, and he's at Coin Education. Um, now he's written a couple of pieces that uh, that he's had me review just about like in indigenous people. Okay, and um, 
And we've kind of been discussing that back and forth in relation to Bitcoin. And he's been kind enough to come onto my show and talk about this. So, Ben, I really appreciate you coming on my podcast to talk about this. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Phil. It's really, really cool. So, look, before we get into, uh, you know, how like BTC, uh, you know, relates to uh, indigenous people um, or just even their their plight, um, let's get into uh, your rabbit hole story, man. Like, how did you uh, how did you get into Bitcoin? Sweet. Well, um, I kind of always knew something was a bit funny and kind of didn't add up within the sort of economic model. So my dad was a very liberal man. <laughs> and so um, he was always saying, you know, we've got to vote for this guy because he's good for the economy. Um, and then when he was the prime minister, he actually ended up doing um, a lot of deals with the Australian side of things. And so when we had a big... Um, boom in the housing sector uh the majority of the profits made there actually got siphoned out to australia so that's like where most of the profits were made and most of the money in our economy just kind of went out of the economy so i knew something was a bit funny there in the banking sort of realm um and then bitcoin was on the news all the time and he said it was that magic internet money that you probably hear a bit and um it wasn't until like 2016, 2017 that I really started getting into the nuts and bolts of it and actually understanding what it is. And then um, since then, having done Safer Dean's courses and reading his books, it's kind of just solidified a few things for me that were kind of apparent but not really spoken about. That's actually, uh, it's pretty cool that, uh, that, that you did, uh, Saifedean's, uh, course. How, how did you, uh, how did you find that? I was debating taking that. Yeah, it's really good. It's, um, I haven't really finished it yet. I'm about halfway through, um, and then going to do the secondary course, but it's good having the fact that like you can chat to him online, like when the courses are running and in the group afterwards, because for someone who has no sort of background in economics, it's like it can be a bit confusing with some of the the jargon used. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, there's there's definitely there's like a new language, right? Like when you get into even if it's not not even if it's just uh, Bitcoin, but just you know uh, just Austrian economics, there's like a whole new language that you have to learn. <laughs> exactly right, and then if you're not very tech literate it also is a lot to learn how proof of work and all of that works as well yeah there's definitely the uh, the steep learning curve for you know for the the bitcoin aspect yeah right? you have to burn your hands and coins a few times before you actually understand oh yeah no absolutely so all right Let's uh let's dive into the uh you know the indigenous people like uh, you, you you wrote that paper that uh, I'll I'll post a link to in the show notes, um, but you you put together a paper like kind of describing like for me I I kind of equate the indigenous people to you know the Native Americans you know or you know the the Native Canadians right like the yeah. the same type of thing and and I assume that it's the same type of thing that that occurred, you know yeah to them or similar very similar um so basically the maori came over to um, new zealand in the early 13th century and 
as the, what we say, Pākehā or non-Indigenous people for New Zealand would have you believe, they took out the species or the, the Mori Ori, which is the ethnicity there before us. Um, it's actually not true, but it is history being rewritten by, obviously, those who conquered. Um, so early 1300s we got there and then we had the British came over um, and they actually got beaten the first time because Māori uh, actually introduced trench warfare. Um, so the next time they came, they came bearing gifts and then slowly but surely they came and we signed a treaty which is called Te Treaty of Waitangi um, and it was written in a day and obviously Māori and I, really speaking English, um, took the verbal word, which was translated, obviously, in their favour. Um, and so they signed the treaty, and then land wars started happening, and land started getting confiscated and, and sold, and then they broke out, and it was like civil wars for a while. And then it led to, you know, slavery of the indigenous um, which is kind of interesting because globally, like that's led to them joining the economy later. So not only did their slave labor actually build the foundations uh, for the institutes that oppressed them, but it also means that they couldn't get paid for their labor. They didn't have any store of value, which was like the housing at the time. Um, so that's why we see in every sort of colonized nation that indigenous people are always in the lowest socioeconomic class and that creates living conditions which is correlated to you know high incarceration rates high suicide stats i mean in new zealand at the moment the maori are 1.8 times more likely to be taken to a police station but once they're there they're actually seven times more likely to be prosecuted so it's created like an inherently racist sort of state. Okay, that's... Wow. So let me ask you something, uh, because it does sound a little bit different. Um, because... So does the government... Uh, does the government of New Zealand offer them any aid at all? Um, there's like some programs, right? But then... Like in 2014, the New Zealand government actually um, were in court with Māori and they said that the treaty didn't actually state that they gave up sovereignty of their land. Um, since then, though, nothing's happened. There's been reparations with a few of the iwis, so which is tribes, but not consultation with the rest of them in an open manner. They're trying to keep it really hush, and I think the reason why they're doing that is just so the bloodline thins out enough for like no one to actually warrant claiming, um, you know, previous ownership to the land. And then also Māori, like in some cases they get paid less just because, you know, they're a Māori community. So like the nurses get paid 25% less if you're Māori working for one of the native communities. Okay, so this is definitely much worse, um, I, I believe, than the native Canadians. Um, which don't get me wrong, it's not a you know it's not a competition because nobody deserves to be persecuted, um, uh, you know, or, or ostracized. But uh, they they actually um, they are exempt from paying taxes. Um, they they were given you know specific land, and even their businesses don't have to pay taxes. So 
it's yeah, yeah that oh wow well, we still pay taxes you um, know we still but, pay taxes but the brunt do, of it. do they get any kind of benefit like this of any they type do, uh some sort of benefit like there's some educational like scholarships and stuff you can get but that's from the communities that have had some reparations like kind of giving back to the community um there's no sort of tax exemptions there's nothing really oh, wow. like yeah okay. and you saw that photo of like the land ownership in that um article right did you see that one uh yeah yeah i did yeah so the land's really diminished and then even since acknowledging that you know sovereignty was never handed over they've continued to like sell land and you know what like i can understand you know business right i can understand that some foreign national corporation might want to use that land for mining or whatever but like you could at least just lease the land rather than outright sell it when it's not yours to be doing that with well, or at least um, if, if you're going to do something with it, then, you know, you should give some of it to the people who actually truly own it. Exactly know? right. So, so what I've really been focusing on is that historically, indigenous have the same common theme where after their slave labor, they weren't allowed to buy houses for a long time. They got paid less when they were finally allowed to buy houses. It had to be in a segregated area. And that area is then not worth much because, you know, the white people didn't want to live nearby. So it's just quite interesting when you look at it, like being able to give that transgenerational wealth that indigenous were never really given that opportunity. So how do we, uh, I mean, like, how does, how does Bitcoin help these people? You know, well, you know how Bitcoin obviously works and how it's like bitcoin fixes this right yeah exactly so, <laughs> <laughs> it's like how um, does bitcoin fix this because they sound like they have their work cut out for them this, this might need bitcoin and an army you know yeah, i know but also like <laughs> indigenous is so wary of anything that comes out in the financial sector these days because they feel like they've been hard done by so a lot of them don't understand what Bitcoin is. And so they're really kind of wary of it and stay away from it. And realistically though, it's like one of the best things as a store of value that we could possibly be focusing on um, because you can't hold money, right? Cause money lost its store of value um, component when it got debased from gold. And then the housing bubble, like, New Zealand's not doing very well in that sector. So you're forced to compete with the very banks that get the base money to try store value. And they just have no idea where to be investing. And so, well, I say that it's a bit of a generalization, but the average show, especially indigenous average show, doesn't have time to be learning where to invest and why. Oh, yeah. I I mean... You know, just based on what you're explaining, you know, if 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 a person, even in in some of the best cases, isn't educated properly, you know, about about value or money, then I, I'm pretty sure that they have maybe even less of a shot. Hundred percent, and it's just interesting because it's like 
you never realize how much that store of value component, how critical that is to a currency. And then when we've looked historically about what happens every time it loses that component, it's just inevitably hyperinflated, right? Oh, yeah. And you know what, you know, kind of going back, you know, to, you know, to what we're, you know, what we're talking about indirectly, you know, because it, it is, it is somewhat direct, it is somewhat related to war. Um, you know, ever since we were able to debase from gold, you know, we can make all these, we can make every war last forever, you know, and exactly. right. stealing that transgenerational wealth. That's right. People. Yeah. So for indigenous, like, uh, uh, values, uh, I guess you could say your economic values about transgenerational wealth. Um, and they're very big environmentalists. So rather than owning land, they kind of belong to it and they maintained sort of a harmonious relationship with it. And that's kind of why they're, how would you phrase that? They're quite saddened about the current state of affairs because it's been that whole like profit by any means necessary mentality. Um, and also just not really having a say and being a minority in their own ancestral land. <laughs> so it's been sort of like what I would say is economic mercantilism. <laughs> I like that. That, that, that. That's a good saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just like pillaging everything that wasn't really theirs to and means to expand territory. And then I don't know if you uh, remember much of that article, but the banks in New Zealand, 86% of all our banking lending um, actually goes to the big four banks and all that profit gets siphoned out into Australia. Watch, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like considering the financial sector is the most well-off in terms of revenue created, 86% of that value gets siphoned to Australia. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And if I, uh, if I remember this right though, you were... Um, you were mentioning, though, um, something about a, a different type of system where, um, you know, where they could actually retain their value, uh, where they could actually retain their value in their own banking system and, you know, make it like a positive feedback loop. Yeah. So um, obviously, if you want to opt out at the moment, the choice is really just Bitcoin. Um, that, that's the only option. But what I was thinking is if banks are the first to get the newly created money and be able to invest that before the market actually realizes and accounts for inflation, then they are the ones that have the best opportunity to make difference. Um, so the idea was rather than a bank where the profit is siphoned out to Australian CEOs and shareholders, yeah. why not have a non-for-profit bank? and just simply um, give those profits back to the people who use it. And then if you had a non-for-profit bank, you wouldn't be focusing on profits by any means necessary. You'd actually be able to invest in what's sustainable environmentally. And then by also giving back to the people, they're actually having a choice using Dirty Fiat as an option to you know, get away from that profit by any means necessary mentality. So, so let me ask you this. How do we, um, I guess, do you, do you know anybody, I guess, in the, you know, that's part of one of these indigenous tribes? And I, 
I am. So I oh. am part Maori. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, my tribe is, or Iwi is Waitaha. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of stands for either water container or before the water. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so so then, like, uh, I mean, at at this point, then, if you're like, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're part of a tribe, you yeah. know, if, if you're part of a tribe, then, um, how do we, you know, what I mean, like, how do we get all these, you know, how do we get these people, in, you know, introduced to Bitcoin, you know, like, so, I, I I guess, are are you trying to put together any workshops or anything like that? To be honest, I did, I did start. Um, a group, but no one's really interested in learning about Bitcoin. You know, it's one of those things where it's kind of like the Mormon turning up to your doorstep, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so no one really wants to hear about it until, you know, the seed's been planted and it's the third or the fourth time and it starts to pique their curiosity and they come at it on their own terms. That's right. But I think no one's really phrased it before as a solution to the current problem and a lot of people in the indigenous area are talking about decolonization and what that kind of entails is having a certain amount of land back and then trying to create an enclosed community. And one of the guys was talking about making his own ERC 20 token. And I was just oh. like, that's a horrible idea. And started explaining to him why it's a horrible idea because it's centralized obviously. And, It'll just, it, would, it won't work. No, exactly. percent all of them haven't lasted more than two or three years. No, exactly. And and they all have one main head you can cut off. Exactly. So, right. you know, it doesn't offer the censorship resistant. It's a, it's a company owned token, which, yep. which means it doesn't offer any of the actual properties that make Bitcoin Bitcoin. So, yeah. Exactly right. And I think they're wanting to use it in an enclosed community so that it didn't really matter in comparison to other currencies' value because it would be enclosed. But like the problem there is it's the digital age. Like <laughs> you don't want a currency online that isn't secure, especially in a nation where you're the minority. And like how are you going to interact with anything you're importing or exporting because you can't just simply go back to barter and use a centralized token as a medium of exchange. It just, it won't work. No, it, it may work in small pockets, but eventually when, you know, when the authorities, you know, if they decide, you know, choose to stop it, then they absolutely can very easily. And given our track record, they absolutely would. <laughs> that's, that's pretty terrible. So, I mean, Bitcoin really is the answer. So, I mean, like, how do you, uh, you know, it's like, how do you bring it to the masses? You know, how do you bring it to them? Well, I was thinking with that non-profit bank that you could add, you know how Swan Bitcoin's doing that educational sort of side piece for the business model? Oh, yeah. Give Bitcoin. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They recently changed their name to Swan Bitcoin, I think. There's both of them, actually. So, okay. So if I understood it correctly, okay, um, it's there's Give Bitcoin, which is the educational aspect with the kind of like the time lock. And, yeah. then, and then there's Swan Bitcoin, which is the DCA. Mm. So. Okay. 
that's yeah. under the same sort of umbrella. Well, it's it's you know what it's uh, a few of the people are the same on on both sides. Uh, there's like uh, there's Corey. Uh, I, I hope I get everybody right, but at least that I know of, there's Corey uh, Clipston and uh, Brady from uh, Citizen Bitcoin that that are doing both of them. Um, there might okay. be some other overlap too with uh, with some of the people. Yeah. Well, the way I was seeing is you can drain the swamp by opting out and you individually buying Bitcoin. But you can also drain the swamp actually by competing with them at their own game as well. So by creating a not-for-profit, um, realistically what would happen is either people would come and use this proposed idea, this bank, because it rewards them and it aligns with their values um, or the other banks in order to compete would actually have to start cutting out such high profits to the CEOs and shareholders. And by doing that, it's going to be more focused on what's better for everyone rather than sort of, you know, that elite type individual. That's pretty interesting. And not only that, but if you got a huge platform by rewarding users financially, then you've got a huge audience. And once, like, once you have a huge audience, you can actually start talking about the characteristics of money and what makes a hard money. So would it be um, so? Would it be strictly a savings technology for them, or are you also uh, for you guys, or are you also thinking um, for daily spending? So it wouldn't just be a savings technology or number go up. Because I'm trying to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just trying to think like, yeah. is this like, is, is the, you know, is the, the game, is the end game that you want to be able to store value that the government can't touch? Or is it that you want to be able to transact outside of the, uh, you know what I mean? Outside of the, uh, you know, the bounds that make it difficult for you to transact. So or a bit this, of both, I guess. This, this idea is just absolutely replicating what's already available. Um, saying cost in doing so, except the profit that it would make would be given back to users. Um, the only point of difference aside from that is the investments would be uh, like aimed around and aligning to indigenous sort of beliefs, which is that um, environmentalist sort of perspective so basically just offering the same services uh loans mortgages etc but that profit just be given back okay well so just force them to come compete <laughs> you well, know what i mean well you know what um there is this uh th there's a um a group of uh, of people i don't know if you know this uh on telegram hold on a second uh let me see if i could find this it is, I think it's called, yes, Bitcoin Ventures Community. And it's, uh, Stefan Levera is one of the, um, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the, I guess you'd say the directors of it, uh, along yeah. with a few other people like uh, Corey Clipston. Um, and they are looking to back, you know, uh, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin companies, companies that want to do business with Bitcoin. So, you Absolutely. Might, yeah, you might. I, um, uh, that that might be something. That might be something interesting there. Yeah. Well, we've also got um, a lot of trusts that are moldy that have been given 
obviously some reparation sort of amounts and they own quite a few businesses now. So it'd be quite good to sort of pitch to them, um, especially if you're going to be reflecting their ideals. And then also, I just can't see anyone not backing that model where it's a non-for-profit bank. Like, it's yeah. a, it gives the exact same service and functionality of your current existing system, but just doesn't siphon value out of the economy. I could tell you right away, you remember when we were chatting, I was telling you that we have something very similar in the US called credit unions? Yes. It's, it's and, and that is something very similar where essentially, um, if I understood it correctly, I believe the people that actually work on the board of directors of these banks, the credit unions, they don't actually get paid for it. Um, and yeah. it's actually volunteer work. Um, and the um, it gets paid back to the people, quote unquote, in the form of a dividend. But uh, essentially, it comes through discounted services and, you know, um, we'll say uh, lower, lower priced interest rate loans and stuff like that. So I, I can tell you that um, coming from a national bank to a credit union, the credit union was much better to me. So uh, interesting. We yep. have um, something similar in New Zealand, the cooperative bank. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's meant to be owned by the people. Um, you know, for the people sort of thing. But in reality, you know, they make some good investments environmentally, but it's still a for-profit bank. And you see the CEOs and shareholders and what they're making. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's some of them are 500 grand onwards per oh. year. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, there's no need to be paying someone that much money. They're not doing that great of work, you know? No, ex exactly. And and you know what? It's, it's it's funny, right? It's it's like a double-edged sword because the other side is, well, you know, who are you to say how much is enough, right? It's like, who are we to say how much is enough? But at the same time, um, you know, it, it just becomes more and more for the sake of being more and more. You exactly know what I mean? Like, 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 are you going to tell me that somebody really did $52.8 million worth of work? <laughs> like, 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 how did you really value that? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to see the math that made that number happen. <laughs> yeah. Like, what did you do exactly? Show me. <laughs> so it's, it's funny, right? And, and of course it gets answered in a very vague way because they can't really justify it at the end of the day. Yeah. You and know, so they never really mention it. And then when you look at the statistics that they produce, it's, some of it doesn't really add up anyway. No, I don't know I, how transparent you guys are with your banking system. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. The you know the amount of money that these people make. I, I forget. Um, and again, I, I might be misquoting. It might not just be the the banking system, but the financial sector. I, I think for some reason I'm remembering. I, I you know what? I think the CEO a CEO makes something like four hundred times the uh, the average salary. Yeah. There's something like and that. That's, that's the thing about for-profit, basically, businesses is not only is there, like, wealth inequality, but if you look at the inequality between CEOs and average, um, you know, employees, that has grown dramatically. So that's, like, another sort of problem that I think a non-for-profit bank would fix. Yeah. Because it would be focused so much around that individualistic aspect. 
you know what? I mean, to a certain extent, th there would have to be an aspect of volunteerism, right? Because people would have to, you know, people would have to choose to volunteer to, you know, to uh, obviously, you know, uh, give back the, uh, you know, the dividends or people may opt to use that to better the community. So, I, I mean, yeah. I, I could definitely see that if, if it would be done, if it's done correctly and people are actually incentivized for, you know, low time preference behavior which is you know the great you, you know like the uh, not necessarily the greater good but the long-term good okay yeah. the the long-term good then yeah I, I could definitely see it working i, I definitely see that it, it requires a lot of uh, i think growth in in the hearts and minds of people to to get to that point i think there is a much better model that's been around for a little while to incentivize communities to get maximum value for minimum expenditure. So like when you look at, True. you know, how Elon Musk was talking about colonizing Mars and he was like, all right, well, how would we do this? I'll give X reward to whoever produces the best solution. So that reward is what you would usually pay like one company to do it. But instead of one company thinking what would be the best way, you had the entire community all like competing with each other to see who could produce the best model. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that um, I, I think that if if more power would be given back to the people with their resources, they could do better. Absolutely. So I, I, I definitely agree. And like, that's what's kind of fired me up as well is that the whole idea that we have capitalism is just simply not true because it's not a free market. No, it's not. It's an, it's an illusion of a free market. And that I'm in America now. And then there's people that are like, you know, Bernie Sanders is the solution. I'm like, no, socialism is not the solution. We need less interference from state, not more. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just baffling. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're probably going to have, you know, I mean, because I have no idea. I, I try I I try to stick away from politics because I, I think it's just such utter bullshit. I, I think it's one of those puppet shows where everybody yeah. watches the show. But in the meantime, you know what I mean? Like somebody's sitting there putting chains around your ankles. You're not even watching. It's like yeah. that, that. That's really what it is. So everybody watches this and they actually think like voting one party makes a difference over another party. And of course, somebody will come up with the argument. But look, this party did this. It's like it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter because you got to look at who's actually paying all these people's bills. You're, you're not you're the not the customer. You know what I mean? Like we're not the customer of these politicians. We're not yeah. the customer of the government. Like people think. Like people think like they're the customer of the government. They're not. the The customer of the government is the the uh, the the people that give them. Uh, sorry, the people that give them money. That's who the customer is. So you know? do you guys have the same law where? If it's above a certain amount, it must be declared as a donation. Oh, I, I have no clue. I, I'm a, I'm originally from uh, from Montreal, and uh, I, I live in the U.S., so uh, I I I really have no clue. But I, I'm pretty sure that yeah, I'm pretty sure that over a certain amount, it has to be declared as a char uh, as a donation. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good that you agree. I think all Bitcoiners do with that Noam Chomsky sort of in the U.S. is basically one party quote. You know. It's uh, yeah, I I even think I mean, even being originally from from Canada, I think it's the same type of thing. You know, you watch yeah. all these different parties, but it doesn't really make a difference. 
100%. And then that's what's kind of annoyed me from like the indigenous perspective as well. It's not only is that the case, but then when, you know, my dad was talking about that guy, John Key, who was great for the national debt and reducing it, right? What yeah. he ended up allowing and enabling is that, that amount of ownership from Australia and our banking system. And he got knighted in Australia for the billions of dollars in profit that he created for those banks. He got a knighthood for that. And this is the guy that my dad thinks this is good for our economy. It's like, what? <laughs> Vote blue. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. And, and, and the worst part is, though, like, that's not only was it not their land to profit from, but they didn't even profit from it. It's, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. So by posing, you know, Bitcoin is like the only sort of store of wealth and uncorrelated sort of safe haven, which it's proving itself to be, then, the, you know, and that asymmetric opportunity, like you should have a decent allocation in there. Um, I see a few people these days, though, going into lots of debt to be doing that, but I'm not too sure about that. That's some balls to the wall sort of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. I, I don't, yeah, I don't believe in that either. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? I took my hat off to him, but man, those are some huge kahunas. Oh yeah, no, I definitely, I, I think that, um, yeah, that, that that's going a little too far. I mean, you could believe in something, but, you know, we kind of have a certain system that's somewhat rigged against us with interest rates and stuff like that, and... I don't know, man. I, you know, if you don't play their game, you can't lose it. Yeah, exactly right. You know? Right. Like they so, read their rules. Yeah, exactly. But, and it's also been funny watching people um, come onto the show and then you, obviously, as a maximalist, be interviewing traders. That has been interesting to watch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A few times I uh, I interviewed um, uh, what's it called? Uh, my friend uh, Tim, and yeah, uh, yeah. I also interviewed Ash. I saw that. I yeah. heard that. That's right. And it's just funny, man, because you kind of saved me from that one battle. I'm like, oh, <laughs> do you remember? So, oh my god, absolutely. Okay, so um, so anyway, so for people who don't know, like Ash Rolston uh, in the Facebook, at least in Facebook Crypto Coin Trader. Um, especially if you're a noob, like Ash is one of those people that is like a lot of signal in terms of like her knowledge, her technical knowledge, her knowledge of cryptocurrency, her knowledge of just cryptography and computers in general. It, it's like astounding. And yeah. it, it, it like, I, I just, um, yeah, she, <laughs> she, she's one of those people I always wanted to chat with. I absolutely 100%. always wanted to chat with a lot of people, but at the same time, like, you're writing books or yeah. stuff on how to trade when 90% of people will not do well in that. It's, so, it's such a double-edged sword. I don't disagree with you. This is why you don't hear me as a proponent of trading, right? Mm. Like I'll always tell people to just stack sats and hodl because I, I did attempt to trade and I did have the time, but I obviously did not have the inclination and I lost. So... <laughs> Like yeah. most people do. It's, <laughs> it's a funny thing. Like you're just wired not to be able to do well in that for most people. And then writing a book on how to do it, 
<laughs> it's just like you're writing for such a small percentage of people that will actually get value from that. And I know that she's helping people in a lot of other regards, but trying to make a model around being cheaper than Netflix, which 90% of your customers will get burnt, is not a good model in my opinion. But thank you for saving me from that. And it's hard to ask because <laughs> she does know her shit and everything else, but at the same time, like that model just in itself, no. <laughs> I, I, I can't look. I, I can't disagree with you, but at the same time, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm very much like uh, one of those, you know, uh, to each their own kind of people. So, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, hey, look, you know, for the for the people that want to go and try their hand at trading, um, you know, she's definitely she's definitely some of the most signal that there is out there. But yeah. I always strongly advise people away from trading. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't help it. Thing. It's I, I mean, look you're not going to time Bitcoin right. Like I know that you, I know that some people think they can and you could be really great with technical charts. Okay. I'm really good at looking at patterns and I'm really good at spotting patterns, but Bitcoin does something that traditional stocks don't do. And yeah. you're, you're just, you're, you're not going to catch it. You know, it like you're not going to catch it every time. Sorry. It doesn't give a fuck whether you're short or longed. It just does unexpected movements. A lot of the time. Exactly. That, that That's exactly right. And you could sit there and be following on the, you know, the five minute chart, the one minute chart. And like, it doesn't matter because when that thing goes, it's just, it's one of those situations where if you're not, if you're not in, you're, you're just stuck eating all the profits that you made. Yeah. Buying back higher. Yep. Exactly right. But if you were to follow it on a more of a DCA based way then you know safer over the long run if you presume that that plan b stock to flow ratio is gonna you know be accurate for at least another two cycles okay so it's interesting that you're bringing up dca because i'm obviously a proponent of dca and i know there's you know like there's tons of battles right dca yeah. is bad dca is good you know but okay the reality is how many statistically how many people at any given moment have all of the money that they will ever have to put into Bitcoin in one shot. I can't even make up a number. No. But I'm pretty sure that number is very little. So, 100%. You have to be pretty well off already. Like, okay, exactly. So right away, we're, we're talking about 1% of the population. Yeah. So we're chopping out 99% of the people. And out of those people, how many of them even like Bitcoin, accumulate Bitcoin? I, I don't even think that many. Yeah, probably not many again. So the reality is, is that, you know, I, I know that lump sum investing, yes, I, I don't disagree. Of course, it makes sense that to get as much as you can. But, but it's not for everyone. But it's not for everyone and not everybody has every penny that they will ever put in to something at one time. So you end up yeah. doing DCA. And I think that people end up doing what I term lump sum DCA. So maybe you'll dollar cost average higher amounts. Like, because every person will have a different variable for what that number is going to be. 100%. You know, like it's like, so, so anyways, sorry, go on. <laughs> I agree. So um, you can just set it up and I think Cash App, and now I'm going to start doing it as well. But I'm a big fan of Amber in Australia because I think Alex 
has offered a lot of like great content as well. So, Do you know who he is? So talk to, just tell us a little bit about that because I have heard of Amber, um, but I don't know much about it. And I, I don't, um, I'm not sure who you mean by Alex. So Alex Svitsky. Oh he, yeah, for sure. I actually yeah, just chatted with him. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. His work's really good. Um, I liked his concept of the societal stack. And I think he just produces a lot of great content, but then you see other sort of auto DCA businesses just absolutely like replicating that sort of idea. Cause I guess, you know, this that's the only way to go about it if you're gonna be a Bitcoin business, right? But then the fact that they will like just contribute nothing in terms of community education, but then they'll just reply with like gifts and stuff on like everyone who has anything to do with Amber already as a tactic to try and market. And I think that's, that's some snake oil sort of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely Cause like, you're not contributing anything. You're trying to take away from a business that's built an audience from actually making like meaningful content and producing a service when no one else was, and you're not bringing anything new to the cards. No, you're, I, I mean, absolutely right. That that's, Man, that that's very cool. It's so interesting that you that that you mentioned uh, Alex Vetsky because I I just you know like I find him to be like such a toxic type of like maximalist, and I never actually reached out to him. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, I definitely want to chat with this guy. So that's that's so funny. Anyway, definitely should. He's um he's yeah. probably like the first true Bitcoiner that I kind of interacted with, and you'd go around there and you'd have a barbecue and kind of chat about what was happening around it. And some of the guys there, like I think it's the Wizard of Oz um, oh, yeah. Twitter handle, and there's some there's some smart cookies in that in that little group, eh? And they're talking about some of the shit coins, like legal battles coming up. It was quite funny. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, of course, right? Yeah, because uh, there, there's obviously, um, you know, the, there's obviously Craig Wright's trial that's never ending, and obvious, like you know, every single time he opens his mouth, it it, it just digs digs the hole even deeper. Yeah, it's so. the same for like Roger though. Like listening to him bring up the Holocaust as like oh god, why? so why cringe. You... <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> what are you hoping to gain from this? Oh. Clickbait. <laughs> yeah, and he gets it too. The worst um, part. It is. It is. I, I've I've definitely tried to stop interacting with with people like Roger and Peter Schiff. You know, yeah. like, and even CSW stuff, I just tried to stay away from it. But the CSW stuff, just, I, it just didn't, I, I find it so, it's so triggering. Or the XRP <laughs> army as well. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, no, the XRP army. I, I, I don't deal with them very often, but. You see, here's what I've noticed, though, from being part of the community for a while, is that you people kind of level up in terms of their knowledge around it. But then um, once they hit a certain point they stop sort of giving back and um and telling people or interacting with people who don't know so then it's kind of like this con uh, consolidation of knowledge from like the top down yeah hmm. have you noticed that yeah because you just get yeah. tired of interacting with or like arguing the same sort of conversation i think you um, we're talking about that the other day, right? Yeah, it. it hmm. It's kind of it's a double-edged sword, though, right? 
Yeah. It's like you kind of keep having those conversations though. <laughs> so. Did you see that Kialo website I linked you? I believe so. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry, man. I go through so many websites. I apologize. No, that's I definitely right. did go look at it though. Yeah. So it just enables you to kind of put down a topic and then you can like have little side chains debating each point, but then rather than repeat yourself and oh. have to go around in that full circle, you could just refer someone back to that original thread of the topic. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Now I remember. Yeah. So that should make it a whole lot easier. But okay. So you, you know what the difficult thing is, right? Cause I've had enough battles with enough shit coiners and myself being a shit coiner, I, I know the logical tricks and the traps that, that we use to convince ourselves otherwise. So about like trying to refer to it as a payment method rather than the currency. Oh, payment method. But like, you know, like when you don't want to understand something, like when you don't want to see something, it doesn't matter how passionate, how logical, right? Like how sensical the other, the, the discussion or the argument is, right? cognitive dissonance blinders just going full bore exactly like i, I was talking with uh, a couple months back right like i was like i was talking with uh, this this nano shit coiner and nano is like just the absolute you know i mean don't get me wrong they're all garbage but like nano is like a special type of garbage <laughs> so like so, iota yeah, exactly, right? It's like one of those like special affinity scams where like the people get so sucked in that they it's like they become this special kind of stupid where where you're like, "Okay, I'm going to take this back a level and I'm going to show this to them very simply step by step about how this is a piece of shit and why this is going nowhere." And then how many times have you had to do that? Um, I've had to do that multiple times and I kid you not about like three tweets in you'll start to like the person will usually snap back and at that point it's the end of your argument because they've gone back into you know in into shitcoin maximalism phase <laughs> yeah they you get know? defensive and start personalizing it exactly exactly they personalize it like somehow right like that, that that's what the human is right the, the yeah. human has like taken ownership of this idea it's mine <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that's why i was thinking like if you can have those people right and just refer them to Kialo, then not it wouldn't just be you as an individual proving to them that their shitcoin is a shitcoin. It would be you as a like a communal effort. Cause that's what this whole Bitcoin maximalism is, right? It's like trying to save people from getting wrecked. But eventually you get tired of going around in circles. So like if we just had that one thread that explained every point and why they're wrong, then I think it would be a lot easier not to convert, but just kind of shed some light for the shitcoin maximalists. Well, so maybe maybe you and I can work on putting together a, a Kialo thread for everybody. Absolutely. You because know, then, maybe we can do that. It just saves people having to just like, you know, go through that whole process again and again. It's true. And, and, and it's, it's extremely tiring. Um, and actually, you know, talking about talking about the best arguments, uh, I actually want to give a shout out to uh, a project that's actually pretty cool. I don't know if you know about this project, Bitcoiners Best. 
Um, no. Well, you should check it out. Um, essentially, what it is, is is that anybody can go and upvote or post, right? Like submit, let's say, the, the article that you think is the best or whatever it is. And other people come on the site and they can upvote your article. And you could see, you know, uh, essentially you, you could see the uh, articles and the podcasts and videos and tweet threads that, let's say, the majority of Bitcoiners that have gone to that site think is quote unquote the best material. So that kind of goes along with you know with what you're saying in terms of the argument, but a little bit of a, a different approach. Is it kind of like is it yarls.org? Yarls? Have you seen that one? Uh, I haven't like myself gone to yarls.org probably in a while, but I have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's kind of similar in the sense that there's articles there, but you got to pay some sets to be able to read some of them. Okay. Um, yeah, so you don't have to pay sats to be able to read any of these. This is really just like a, like a voting mechanism site. I mean, of course you can link, obviously you can go directly to each article from the site. Um, but as of right now, from what I recall, the last few times that I voted, I did not have to put in any sats, but you can donate. And at the end of the month, I think, um... They choose a bunch of different projects, you know, like kind of like BTC pay server and, you know, other public projects. And you can, uh, you know, you can up, you, you can vote or donate to uh, whichever projects you think are quote unquote worthy, which oh, they, they all are. They're all worthy in their own right. Oh, 100%. I really think that strike with Jack Marlers is going to make a big difference there. Oh, yeah. Ellen strike. Huge. Yeah. I haven't uh, even begun to really look at that, but yes. yeah. I think it's going to be awesome. And then you can see some businesses, like some platforms are being built now where you just got to, like, you pay with Lightning to, I think you could only order stickers at the moment, but the concept itself is cool where it's not like a specific price. You kind of have to figure the price out. So I, I kind of like, uh, you know, the, you know, cause like you just said, oh, you know, for now you could only order stickers, you know, way back in the day, right? Somebody went and, you know, got pizzas for 10 K sats. And, and, and of course, everybody was just like, oh, who gives a shit? You know, it's pizza. But nobody understood the symbolism. And today, you know, we, we look around and, you know, with sats, you know, you're buying stickers, you're buying T-shirts, you're buying collectibles, you're, you're buying all these things. And that's the point. You're, you're not just buying pizza anymore. 100%. So Brisbane in Australia, where I used to live, actually is pretty good for it. It has um, the airport. You can buy your tourism stuff. There are supermarkets that accept it. There are bars and stuff that accept it. Like, it's starting to be pretty, like, widely regarded in that specific area. I don't know what it's like everywhere else, but you could you could live off, you know, Bitcoin as an income if you're ballsy. But, like, most people now just get a percentage paid in that. So, in New Zealand, it's actually a legal currency. So, you can have... 100% be paid in Bitcoin if you wanted to for your employee. That's pretty cool. I, I mean, look, it's definitely expanding, okay? And more and more people are, you know, more and more people are hearing about it and more and more people are realizing exactly what it is. Um, and I think that um, one of the difficult challenges is, is that because people don't understand, the average person doesn't understand why their money is not good. And as a result, yeah. they don't they don't fully understand the Bitcoin proposition. So absolutely, and doesn't that baffle you? Because like, hmm? if you're going to work right, and the aim of the game in the rat race is to earn enough wealth 
to be able to either do what you want as a business or retire, then by not understanding wealth or money, you're playing that game blind. Yeah, you you are. I mean, you, you're absolutely playing that game that game blind. And, and let's be honest, um, you know, they're, they're not teaching you to see that yourself. You know, I, the only reason I understood, so if we back up, right, like if we back up out of Bitcoin and just let's say pre-Bitcoin, right? So if you were pre-Bitcoin, Okay, there was no real, you know, with the exception of gold and silver and metals, which to be honest, you know, like, yes, it's good to have a certain percentage of them, but they truly are simply just a hedge against inflation. They, they don't yeah. really gain in value the way that people think. But anyways, uh, my point being, um, prior to Bitcoin, you had real estate, you had, you own a company that generates free cash flow, okay, or you have equities and bonds. Okay, and if you're yeah. if you're smart, you figured out you figure out with equities, okay, that there's certain companies, rain or shine, that are always going to be in demand, and those are slow, boring companies that pay a dividend, okay, and yeah. what what people real what you got to realize is is that compound interest. None of these things are actually taught to anybody in school. So right from the get go, we're we're really just programmed to be work bots. Hundred percent. You know, that that, yeah. that it's exactly what it is, and that's all you had. Yeah, take this and shut up. Ex exactly, and and if you didn't figure it out, right? If you didn't figure it out, then you you simply just saved your money in cash. Uh, you know what I mean? Or put it in the bank and earned your savings, and, and that was it. And you found yourself one day, you know, retiring somehow poorer than when you started and didn't understand why because none of us actually signed up to being robbed 100 percent, and that's increasing with each generation the amount that you're being robbed too so like very good point five your cost of living compared to one median male income over a year was you know you could feed the whole family you could pay for college transport health insurance housing like owning your own house and have you know half your wage left to spare just off one wage and now that same wage doesn't even cover your college transportation health insurance or housing like it's ridiculous the amount of wealth being stolen and so that's what annoys me with the whole like boomers mentality of don't point fingers and blame rah, 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 just you know get back to work it's like well we are working we're doing like two or three jobs now and we're still earning less wealth than you did in your day so no wonder why getting into housing and stuff is a lot harder now so i, I think you know what to your point right with boomers because i i have these kind of conversations with my dad all the time right um you know so he's about uh, 69 70 years old and you know they they came from a time right where, you know, forget about inflation, right? Just look at your home, the average home. You paid for electricity. You maybe had, what, one television? You had maybe one telephone? I mean, if you were well-to-do, maybe you had two or three TVs. Maybe you had two or three phones, right? There was no yeah. such thing as there was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as cell phone. There was no such thing as Netflix. There was really... You know, there was no such thing as, that's right, like, there was no such thing as any of these alternative services, right? So all of a sudden, you fast forward to today, where we, the value of our money is a lot less. So, 
you know, the, the numbers, the numbers seem to make sense, but the actual value is a lot less. And on top of that, the alternative services that you have in your life has, you know, gone up five and sixfold. Hundred percent. You know? So And to an extent though, we, we do waste a lot of our capital on convenience. Like, yes, agreed. Totally yeah. agreed. But in terms of like necessities in comparison to your income it's still like still shocking oh yeah yeah it really is and then what's worse with that like when you understand you know the cantilin effect right that's what sucks the most for bringing it back to the whole indigenous side of things is the whole trickle down economics the lower socioeconomic class is the ones who supposedly get the value right but right at the very end when everything's been accounted for for inflation so our wages in terms of like what we earn are the last thing to go up so it's not really you know when you get a pay rise it's not like yes now i can go and like have more wealth to spend on other things it's more like yay now i had the purchasing power hopefully of what i had before yeah, exactly right yeah so and then like, as I was saying earlier with those statistics, we have like the worst, the worst suicide for young people in our Maori ethnicity globally is the worst suicide rate. And that's just because there's so many underlying problems that just go continually, like continuously unaddressed. And we live in the worst, you know, environment and conditions because we are the lowest socioeconomic class but within our ancestral land. So you can see why there's so much like frustration and angst because we haven't had the option to opt out. We understand that by working, we're actually perpetually oppressing ourselves because we're creating this economic value, which gives those who are oppressing us more capacity to do so. Well, look, man, I hope that you can start the uh, the Bitcoin savings bank, you know, <laughs> of the people. Yeah, so. well, it won't even start <laughs> off anything to do with Bitcoin. It'll just be draining the swamp by taking profits out, CEOs and shareholders, giving the exact same services. The only leverage that I will get out of this is the audience, right? And then hopefully if we can create a model which can sort of financially incentivize people to actually learn about money's characteristics, then, you know, that would be mission complete for me because I'd be helping my culture sort of learn about wealth and be able to give it transgenerationally again, transgenerationally. <laughs> that, that'd be very cool. So look, <laughs> um, man, we, the, this hour flew by. I just, uh, I just wanted to know, is there any uh, any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners? Stack sets. Nice. That's about it. And also, like, when I'm talking about some of the stuff that's happened to us as a culture and colonization, don't be afraid to approach that topic. Um, if you want to learn about it, there's, you know, contribute to the conversation. I see that a lot of people, <laughs> like, scared will stay well away from that. But the economic structure is an underlying fundamental proponent for enabling it so it has a lot to do with bitcoin no i think it's very interesting and we definitely shouldn't be afraid so i really appreciate you uh you know i really appreciate you discussing this uh, openly and everything and uh, I, I had a lot of fun it was very cool man thank awesome. you Thanks, bro. 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers, man. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Mr. Coin Education, uh, Ben Jarvey. Anyways, um, his contact details will be in the show notes as well. If you want to reach me, I'm at Coin Icarus on Twitter and Telegram. Uh, also, if you want to reach me by email, I am coinicarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stack sats, hodl hard, and uh, I'll catch you all next week. Thanks again. Bye.